Hello and welcome to episode 307 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Reno, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Hello. Hello. We are two and a half weeks away. Wow. From Peltoncast Live Draft Edition, Spring 2022. At Bad Bar in Queen Anne. Hope you already have your tickets. If not, make your plans to get out there. Again, if you didn't hear us talking about this last week or on the internet or any other place, Friday, April 22nd, in the heart of Lower Queen Anne, Pelton Cast Live. Very high on that phrase, heart of Lower Queen Anne. It's in the heart of Lower Queen Anne. You've got Cafe Vita, right? Right there. You've got Big Mario's Pizza, you've got Good Times Bad Bar, and you've got Pelton Cast Live in the heart of Lower Queen Anne. Friday, April 22nd. Uh, <laughs> you've got our, our uh, family's rental house. <laughs> the house that our grandma grew up in. Yeah. Uh, and you know what to expect from Pelton Cast Live. This is going to be a special NFL draft edition with so much more than that, featuring special guests from The Athletic, Mike Sean Dugar. If you were there at the virtual Pelton Cast Live, you will know, or if you've heard him on any podcast, this podcast, any other podcast, read his Twitter, seen him run, you know that you do not want to miss seeing Mike Sean live and in person at Pelton Cast Live. But you also know what else to expect from Pelton Cast Live. That is surprises games bingo from the famous cousin katie maybe the famous cousin katie in person have not got a confirmation of that yet uh we are talking come hungry there might be some food from some of our sponsors who we still have not asked about supplying that food but feeling pretty confident they'll be there (laughs) (laughs) we've got some more special guests to announce as well so looking forward to continue to uh confirm those those names and play in the show it's it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm confident more special guests who might have worn their sunglasses on the red carpet this weekend they might have lost at the grammys but they'll win at pelton cast live and do you know what else is going to be unveiled at pelton cast live is that the winner of our search for seattle's best fried chicken that, that too i was thinking of oh. brand new pelton cast <laughs> merch uh, for the first time in history, maybe we'll sneak 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 peek these on Instagram and Twitter tomorrow if you'll let me. Uh, brand new Pelton cast hats that you will not feel embarrassed to wear in public. You can wear them confidently, I think. <laughs> I mean, they're they're a very different look from the original Pelton cast hats. Uh, they're they're pretty awesome, I gotta say. It was a it was a good call. I, some combination of our family group chat got to that. I assume you were the impetus. Katie. I think Ben, actually. Yeah, Katie. One of the two. Someone is someone. That's, in our that's why Katie's the Pelton cast MVP right there. Wow. You just you're you're helping out her case before we've even done the voting for 2022 Pelton cast. It's MVP. fine. It's fine. Uh so again, Friday, April twenty second. Pelton cast live for the first time since 2018 19 19 19. 
Pelton Cla- <laughs> no way we did anything in 2019. Have you do you not aware of what happened? Uh Pelton Cast Live returns in person. Tickets are ten dollars at the link that you will tweet out later from Brown Paper Tickets. That ten dollars, a hundred percent of not profits, a hundred percent of ticket sales. Hundred percent of ticket sales will be donated to Doug Baldwin's Family First Foundation in Cascade, Washington. I Family, family first center. I drove by it this weekend. I said to myself, wow, they're actually really starting that. And 100% of proceeds will go to that. Tickets are still available April 22nd. Good times, bad bar, Pelton Cast Live, Mike Sean, special guest, bingo, come hungry. I cannot wait for this. And as always, Rainier Tall Boys, a plenty. Oh. Of course. The last Pelton Cast Live, which you tell me was in 2019, there were 120 cans of Rainier Tall Boys at the bar. Specifically for that event. That's what we are about, <laughs> is making places that do not have Rainier Tall Boys have Rainier Tall Boys. And they said, we'll bring them in. We'll see. We only have 120. And we said, challenge accepted. And you know what challenge meant? That Pelton Cast Live crowd drank through 120 Rainier Tall Boys. I was probably right around the 10 mark. And <laughs> uh, how many ounces? 160 ounces of Rainier. Four forties of Rainier. Almost Wade Boggs esque. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be an incredible night. Every single person who comes. I, I, The most important thing to me about Peltoncast Live is I tell people all the time, you don't have to care about sports to be there and enjoy it. You don't really have to care about anything that we would talk about on a normal weekly basis. You're going to have a good time at Peltoncast Live. This is not your mother's or father's or grandparents' live podcast. I mean, except, you know, Jan will be in attendance, so it is our mother's live podcast, I suppose, from that standpoint. So, should we get to uh, should we get to our toast and start with this week's beer? Absolutely, we should. We're going back to our friends at No Boat Brewing. So, I was I was at uh, at uh, the Beer Junction in West Seattle. Our friends down there, and I went and took a look at their seasonal case, and I got to tell you. Not a lot of beer in the seasonal case just, right now. It really drove home my point. Mm. But I did find, this was not in the seasonal section, from No Boat, the Catastrophe Music Double Dry Hopped IPA, which uh, I found appropriate because I listened to the album Dear Catastrophe Waitress earlier in the wow. day. So there you go. I don't know if that's the specific reference of Catastrophe Music, but it seemed appropriate. Catastrophe Music. I'm trying to think of... It's definitely not a Bell and Sebastian reference. I told it you that. It seems unlikely that it's a reference to a 2004 Bell and Sebastian album. Wow, that's wild. Because before this podcast, you were yelling me about the microphone. And I said you were making me sit here prostrate. And I, I was totally referenced to that, that particular Bell and Sebastian record. Well, well, our first toast. Congrats to uh, third Pelton brother and longtime Sonics coach George Carl and former Storm forward Swin Cash on being elected to the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame as part of the 2022 class. Uh, Cash joins a handful of other Storm players, members of that 2008 team besides Sue Bird. The the rest of the starters are in the Hall of Fame with LJ, Cheryl Swoops, Yolanda Griffith, uh, Bill Russell, and Lenny Wilkins, the other Sonics coaches in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, you know, congrats to the both of them on the biggest honor you can get individually in basketball. 
All right, and two, Dynamite drop-in, Monty. Mike Piazza, New York catcher. <laughs> a special toast for you listening to that record today. Well, You actually listened to it today? I did. Wow. On CD? No. Okay. No. I don't know the last time I've listened to something on CD. Uh, I do actually know. It was the Kevin Calabro greatest hits when I was doing the uh, 1996 podcast You, my friend, summer. need to get yourself a Honda Odyssey <laughs> with a six CD changer. <laughs> You're going to need all to run through it. Yeah, I guess I actually the real answer is when we drove to Salem last year. <laughs> uh, uh, get well soon this week to Sounders legend Osvaldo Alonso, who suffered an ACL tear in Atlanta United's game over the weekend. So that was some disappointing news. Uh Monday night was the men's national championship game in college basketball. And the real winner was the famous cousin, oh, Katie, God. who won our men's tournament challenge pool. It actually didn't matter the result of Monday because nobody had picked North Carolina uh, already by virtue of having Kansas. <sighs> she was the winner before this game even tipped off, finished in the 99.7th percentile wow. nationwide. You truly hate to see it. She's Getting way too much love so far in this podcast. On the women's side with uh, that was South hate. Carolina's. That wasn't love, for the record. Yes. There is a hat, South... there's a hat in it for Katie, who probably would have gotten one anyway. That's the thing. is actually both of the winners would get hats anyway. Very rigged. With, with South Carolina's victory, our group dropped to number 191 overall. Unsurprisingly, a lot of, like, USC fans... Gamecocks, those were the ones that jumped to the top of the rankings ahead of us after the final. Uh, and and talking Taco Time co-host, Randy Cote, the winner of our women's tournament pool. We did get some unfortunate news that Randy sadly will not be able to join us for Pelton Cast Live on April 22nd. So still, we will not have had a live show with Randy as a member of the wow. Talking Taco Time crew. Has Randy ever been to Pelton Cast Live? I think he may. I think he attended at one point, but was not on stage, if I recall correctly. Wow! How did we have Peltoncast live and not put Randy on stage? Huge mistake. I don't know. Huge mistake in hindsight. I might not so. even go to Peltoncast live. I said all those things about it. The one thing you should know about <laughs> Peltoncast live is that if Randy's not going to be there, it's not even worth attending. Wow! Wow! All right, that's our toast this week. Uh, I, I guess that just puts us directly into the roundup, uh, starting with our food update. I should mention, by the way, went to Pagliacci earlier this evening before we recorded, had the Matador seasonal, which, uh, going back to, so I had like never really ordered Pagliacci. I'd always just gotten slices or, you know, gotten it when we, when they, uh, delivered food for the storm for every, every game and every event for a long period of time. So I got, I got a lot of Pagliacci that way. Uh, until the pandemic started and was staying at home, slices weren't really an option. So I started ordering, you know, whole pies. And the first seasonal that came up back then during late March 2020 was the Matador with the spicy Unduja sausage and Castrovano olives. Uh, it's, it's, cool. it's probably my favorite of all the seasonals. Quite delicious. I also want to try, they have a, the, their other seasonal right now is the Tricolore. Uh, paying it's paying homage to the Italian flag with uh, pesto <laughs> cheese. You had to fucking remind me. Oh, ah! which it does to the USA. I we probably U.S. did make the World Cup. That didn't even did that even is that in the rundown? Are we talking about this at all? 
It is not specifically the rundown. So if you want to talk about it, this is the time. Wow. I am full on patriotic now after seeing was... the group that the U.S. is in. <laughs> yeah, going up against England. <laughs> yes. I mean, that was the case in, what was that, 2008 that they played, that they drew England? I think it was 2008. Because 2004, we were, the U.S. and Italy yes. were in the same group. That was not super fun. Or 2006 and 2010. It was say. I'm, very I'm, fun. I'm for, mentioning... Very fun for Italy. I don't know if you remember what happened that year. Well, the ultimate something that hasn't happened to England since 1960. But no, no, no. It's 60. I believe 1966. Our, our, our World Cup years are all off. Right how about now. how about it's, the 1960s? Since 1966. Two, God damn it. That you can confidently say. 2006 was when Italy won the World Cup. 2010, I'm pretty sure, is when U.S. and England were in the same group. U.S. and England. Yes. Did they both advance? Was that the one where Donovan scored the goal at the very end to send them through? That must be the case, yes. Wow. So I think they did both advance then. I can't wait, though. I mean, I mean, just the idea of playing England, right, in the World Cup. Obviously, both of them can go through, so it's not quite the same as playing them in an elimination game, but... I mean, it's also not quite the same because it's England, and anytime you have an opportunity to play them in penalties... You're going to want to do that. Historically, it has worked out very well yes. to have penalties against I, I was going to say like an all-time revenge match, but I'm not sure for who. <laughs> 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 Who's taking revenge on whom here? But just an all-time revenge match. Uh, it's either the U.S. for the, uh, you know, the... The Tea Party and and everything that led up to that, uh-huh. or the taxation without representation, or England for the outcome of that particular <laughs> war. All time revenge match, uh, uh, but but to see, I mean, they probably both will go through, so it kind of takes it takes away a little bit of the sting. Uh, but just to show England what a very good group of young international soccer stars looks like. Uh, <laughs> Because I just don't think they're very familiar. We saw them in the Euros last year, and I have to say it was pretty embarrassing. So, I mean, you know, it was a, it was a good run right up until the oh, penalties. Oh, yeah. No, I, I just, it was really nice, really nice that they got that far. I was proud of them, to be honest, you know, in my opinion. I think that they should feel really good about how, how much they achieved up until that point. And look, they... They didn't win, and that's fine. But like, they got they got really far, really far. I mean, this is like people saying that it was embarrassing for Coach K to lose to North Carolina in the final four in his final game, and I, I credit that it was a disappointing loss to lose to your rival with so much on the line. But like, they made it to the fucking final four. Like, they had a phenomenal season. North Carolina was clearly very good. Nearly won the national championship. Also, the idea that any person can say that anything that Mike Krzyzewski does is embarrassing. It's like, he's had I a mean, greater career than any of us will have ever had. In terms of, like, basketball success on the court, without question. <laughs> yes. Maybe even, the, like, basketball players, like, it's one of... Uh, this is not no love to Mike Krzyzewski, but the idea that you could say that something was embarrassing that he did. <laughs> just like, yeah, he'll never live it down. <laughs> <laughs> But no, 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 no. It, it was. It, it's. I wish that there were better players on North Carolina. Like, I think it would have been more fun if North Carolina would have had, like, some notable stars that we'll look back on in years and be like, Anton Jameson beat Coach K. But it's just, like, now the, like, goofy white guy. 
I mean, people were very into Caleb Love for 48 hours after the game on Saturday. Not as into Caleb Love after a tough shooting night in the national championship game. Uh, should we do our top chef update? Uh, another rough go for Seattle's Luke Colpin in the uh, in the. Wow, uh, I thought it was coming uh, home. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not eliminated yet. Uh, I have this described as the elimination challenge. It was actually the quick fire where he put out a prosciutto toast that Judge Brooke Williamson described as a quote salt lick, and not like the barbecue. Wow, place. I was going to say that sounds great. Right? No, no. Did. The, now, the final, the elimination challenge on this one was actually brisket-based, and Luke did somewhat better there, serving a brisket with barbecue sauce based off onion and coriander and limestem salad with pickled red onions. Judges liked the salad, but uh, Luke finished in the middle on that one. I did make a random discovery last week that when I was in Spokane for the Women's Regional two weeks ago, I ate at a restaurant from Season 13 Top Chef contestant Chad White a Spokane native who operates three restaurants there. Uh, I went to Zona Blanca Ceviche Bar and had excellent tuna tostadas and carnitas tacos. And the funny thing is, while I was having them... These sound, was sound like, all like very Top Chef words. So I guess say what you're going to say. Yeah, it, like there was like the depth of sauces. And I was like, wow, this feels like a very Top Chef meal. And then lo and behold, it turns out he actually was on Top Chef, which I, I did not realize because I've still only watched two of the uh, the episodes before last... Two of the seasons before last season. Uh, that's all I've gone back in the archives for thus far. So we'll be curious to check out season 13 at some point. Uh, when you finally catch up on winning time, uh, you're going to, you're going to have some good stuff from uh, Sonic's legend, Spencer Haywood in this next episode. I mean, I, I know what happens. I, I know the ending for Spencer Haywood. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see it dramatized. I thought in episode four, it was funny to see uh, Ron Boone is the villain of that episode who, Ron Boone is uh, David Locke's partner on the Utah Jazz broadcast. He's the like, white guy? The big white guy? No. Oh, that's not Ron no. Boone. Ron Boone is the uh, the veteran guard who is very anti-Magic Johnson. Uh, okay. <laughs> Which was, there is is in the series as a whole, is based in fact. There's there's some factual parts <laughs> of it, but, uh, you know, is played up. Okay. it's It's a drama. So, yeah, I, I look forward to checking out episode five. Uh, we do have, and it's been a while, an NBA Seattle update sponsored by our friends really? at Pagliacci Pizza, uh, which is actually an NBA Las Vegas update. But because of expansion, those two situations are somewhat tied together, potentially. Uh, our friends at the Oakview Group, who who built Climate Fledge Arena, announced plans to build a $3 billion sports entertainment complex at the south end of the Las Vegas Strip including a casino and a 20,000-seat arena that would be NBA-ready. The hope is to begin construction next year with a planned 2026 opening date. Okay, so two questions. Number one, you know what the first one is. What? What's the south end of the strip? <laughs> <laughs> Explain it's to me the... north and south. <laughs> uh, the south end of the strip is if you're going towards Mandalay Bay. Okay, the uh, other side. Because there's that huge chunk of area... Something new opened down by like the fashion show mall, right? That's that's on the north end of the strip, nearer to the yes, stadium, there's... right? No, the stadium is south, but not that far south. The football stadium. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, the stadium is southwest. I think this is maybe 
I, I'm not sure if it's going to be southeast or southwest, but not quite as far west as the uh, the stadium is. Uh, it, it's it's an area that's not currently developed of the strip. Apparently, I I learned from reading the story about this that they're planning high speed rail from L.A. to Las Vegas. Hello. Like, we'll see when that actually happens. I, also, I don't know why that's a hello. You don't live in either of those cities. It's a hello for future Tristan. Did you hear that podcast that we did on April Fool's? Oh, that's true. You were you were very committed to the idea of living in L.A. You think I was exaggerating? <laughs> I would be a Chargers fan, though, for the record. <laughs> you were not actually in L.A. recording that podcast, sadly. No, no. Uh, anyway, sure wasn't. But the thing that I'm most excited for in the month of April, aside from Pelton Cast Live, April 22nd at Good Times Bad Bar, is going to a Dodgers game, though, on April 20th. That should be. Awesome. I have it been circled, circled on the calendar. It was fun. Okay, so, uh, so but, it, but it's close to the airport. That's the other thing it's close to. So the idea is it'd be easy for you know people to get in and out and come to games there and that sort of thing. Where's the, where's the in and out? No, not not literally in an, the a written out restaurant. I meant in and out figuratively, figuratively. <laughs> All right, what was your second question? My second question is more of a statement. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is not a coincidence. I'll, I'll take the answer offline. <laughs> I, I this is not a coincidence. They're not building this arena for nothing. They know what is coming to this arena, and that is basketball, right? So I think it's interesting because this is, by the way, an example of a city that is not actually that big, although there's different financial incentives in Las Vegas than there are anywhere else, building two NBA caliber arenas. Having since... one for hockey and one for basketball, potentially. Exactly. Which is which is an interesting development from that standpoint, especially with Oakview Group being the one putting in the NBA arena, potentially. Uh, I there was, I, I don't think the reality is that they're necessarily against the idea of having separate re- arenas. They just want to control all the concerts, which I think is a huge oh, part yeah. of it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, in Seattle, yes, that's that would be the objection. But uh, yeah, I, it, and it does work out awfully conveniently if there's two Oakview Group group arenas that are sitting there ready for a double expansion at some point in the future and if you think about a timeline after we get through the current tv deal renegotiations or the renegotiations of the new tv deal and the new collective bargaining agreement it sets up pretty well that you would if there were expansion it would probably be a team coming into play somewhere in the 2026 2027 range where does lebron figure into this so he's part of Fenway Sports Group, mm-hmm. which obviously they own the Red Sox, Liverpool, bought the Penguins recently. There's some other stuff they own. And the the concept of Fenway Sports Group at this point seems to be we want to own a team in literally every sport we can. And the NBA is not a place that they have invested. And therefore, you know, by being part of an expansion group would make a lot of sense for them. So you could see them potentially, potentially par- partnering, partnering with, with Oakview. Oakview. Yeah. Okay. As Oakview maybe like operates the arena, gets all the concerts because their primary business is Live Nation business. Yeah. I mean, they've got a lot of elements, but obviously, you know, with uh, why, why am I blanking on the name of the music executive who's part of Oakview group? Oh, uh, Irving Azoff. Correct. Yeah. With his involvement, the concert element is key, and then they just their their big thing is the building, 
not the te- owning the team. I mean, that's where the real money is at. I feel like that's like the next level of. But it's also a lot of investment. A lot of upfront investment. There's a lot of money for everybody. But the reality is, it's not a coincidence that they're building this team. In in the, I'm going to ask you a question that you're probably not going to answer, not give the answer I want you to to give. In the backroom dealings that are happening with Adam Silver in the NBA, is this done? Is it is no. it confirmed that there's going to be a team in Las Vegas and Seattle for the 2026 season? And that's why construction has started here. No, I don't think it's that far down the road. I, this isn't like the NHL situation where it was like, look, you get an arena together, you've got an expansion team. It's not like they've announced one expansion team and they're just sitting there at 31 waiting to get to 32 like they were in in the NHL. The other, I mean, the other element that is always going to be there is the NBA will not expand until it feels confident about the financial viability and arena status of all the 30 existing markets. So that element is still out there to be unresolved, to be resolved, just like the TV deal and the new collective bargaining agreement. And that one might be more pressing even in terms of when or if expansion happens. In New Orleans or? Uh, New Orleans, I think, would be one of the markets that you would potentially look at, yes, given the age of their arena. Yeah. Okay. There are a handful of others. So. Do you think that that is if if you were somebody who wanted basketball back in Seattle, hypothetically speaking, I feel like I've almost forgot what it's like to cheer for a basketball team. Like, <laughs> wow, the disrespect to you know men's basketball. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's like you say that they're going to win no Pac-12 games, then you get interested for a while, then you just kind of forget that a season ever happened. <laughs> Then the coach you want gets hired by Florida. Um, but do you think that's a reasonable timeline if you're somebody who wants basketball back in Seattle? If you mentally thought thought to yourself, four years from now, the next World Cup, Italy will be finally back in it, right? The U.S. will be defending their World Cup championship. Uh, and <laughs> and hosting. <laughs> and hosting right there. Some of the stuff about Qatar, where this World Cup is, is just like... If you were going to sit one out, I do feel like. Oh, without question. Uh, not that Italy is sitting this one out. They definitely did not make that choice. <laughs> they, were, they were ready to go. This was Very ready to not go. a political decision by any means. <laughs> but <laughs> we should boycott it now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but do you do you think that's a fair timeline to to have in your minds of there there will be basketball back in Seattle for say the twenty six twenty seven season? I I mean I don't think it's necessarily tied to that specific year, but I am more optimistic about things happening sooner rather than later than I was a few months ago. Really? Yes. Are you hearing things, or is this just? I'm more optimistic now than I was wow. a few months ago. Wow, you should announce it at the live show April 22nd at Good Times Bad Bar in the heart of Lower Queen Anne. I mean, I feel like that'd be... We are in the shadow of Climate yeah, Pledge Arena. One of the best places for you to, to break some news. Right down the street from where the Sonics practice facility used to be at the Furtado there Center. Back where I... Uh, Karen Bright still owes me some money. I had a half-court shot when the storm first moved in there. You fucking tell me where. I'll go hunt down that money. <laughs> How much are we talking? 
I think it's like twenty dollars. I'm taking it Vic, but uh, I I mean the interest is probably pretty considerable. This is back in two thousand eight. Two thousand eight to now? Yeah. With inflation these days? That's gotta be at least a cool thirty eight dollars. That's been that extra eighteen all at once. <laughs> Uh, it, it, right, it, well, it would just be for the love of the chase, though. Yeah, <laughs> for me. <laughs> On that optimistic note, I'm I'm I love the idea of you breaking uh, uh, the news. <laughs> the Sonics are coming back Mad- on Pub Just Live. Yeah, he finished his six Rainier Tall Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna be. Who said I was drinking six? I'm trying not to have to pee during the podcast. Oh uh, yeah, that's that is goal. one of my favorite parts of the podcast is leaving the stage to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I told you, you this is leave. not like fucking invisibilia never does that. You you can leave. I can hold down the fort. If I leave, I don't know what might happen. <laughs> We finally turned the podcast over to Mike Sean. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that would be good. He could have the feed. <laughs> that would be a good outcome. But, uh, you know, spring is coming. It's technically here. And I think it's time for the return of your favorite segment. It's official. Julio Rodriguez has made the Mariners' opening day roster, giving me two correct bold predictions already, and it's not even May. Rodriguez has torn up the Cactus League with one game in Arizona remaining, slashing 424, 486, 818 slugging percentage with four doubles, three home runs in 33 at-bats, including an inside-the-park home run last week. He was so good, the Mariners couldn't even manage to manipulate his season time, service time. As a result, people are thinking Rodriguez could be in line for hardware that would earn him a full season of service time either way, and the Mariners a draft pick is a reward. Surely, you're imagining Rookie of the Year, and indeed, J-Rod's odds are down to 3.75 to 1, according to Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill, just behind Bobby Witt Jr. in the AL. But I want to think bigger. We've already heard the projections suggest Rodriguez is the Mariners' best hitter. If he puts everything together and the Mariners break their two-decade playoff drought, why not MVP? We've got the Mariners' precedent. Literally every time in the last 21 years they've made the playoffs, an outfielder has won both Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season. Look it up. It's true. Now, sure, you might point out that Oitro was 26 when when he debuted in Seattle, not 21 like Julio where the Chohei Otani put together one of the most valuable seasons in baseball history last year. But I ask you, how many Olympic medals does Shohei Otani have? Mm. The answer is one less than Julio Rodriguez's bronze last year. Spring is all about dreaming of what might happen in the season ahead, at least after you finish resolving that greedy lockout by the owners. Everyone is 500, and everyone has a chance at MVP now that they've made the opening day roster. I mean, we should have done a freaking emergency pod about this. Our first ever well, baseball emergency pod. I was on lookout landing, going over, you know, making sure I hadn't missed any baseball stories. They did have a Julio Rodriguez Hello. emergency pod. I'm just happy somebody was doing it. Oh, you got to have it. You gotta have, they did not have any sirens, uh, siren emojis. So they're we'll, really busy we'll out talk there. To them. Uh, opening day is Thursday. Wow. It kind of snuck up on me in Minnesota with a 110 Pacific start time. 
Then there's an inexplicable off day on Friday. No, they do the off day. I saw about this. With the first two days, they do the off day just in case the first one's rained out that they could do the, um, the opening day the next day. Before completing the series. But still, you're not playing on Friday? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's the best day for ticket sales. Uh, that's why our, that's why Pelton Cast Live is on a Friday. Uh, before completing the series Saturday through Monday, the Mariners then, will then face the White Sox Tuesday through Thursday in Chicago before their home opener a week from Friday. Let's talk about some projections. Hello. No, I don't know if this is a hello. Hell no. <laughs> remember, remember fun differential, not run differential. D- okay. <clears throat> well, when the projections are starting, they're starting from that point. Sometimes. <laughs> I like that it's it's been shortened to just sometimes. Uh, Who the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Dakota has the Mariners at 83 and 79 with a 33% chance of making the That's playoffs. That's actually not bad. No, not bad at all. 33%? I'll take those odds. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you had enough 33% odds, you wouldn't miss the playoffs for 21 consecutive seasons. Or 20 consecutive seasons. Uh, Fangraph Zips, a little less optimistic, has the Mariners at 80 and 82 on average with a 20% chance that fucking zips last year. Didn't believe him all year. And then they were right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But this is a totally different team than the Mariners are going into, went into last year with, it was interesting. I was thinking about last season when that season started. I mean, I was personally pretty down on the idea of professional sports happening in general at that time, although people were starting to get vaccinated. Uh, and the Mariners started out without fans for the first chunk of time also, right? No, they had fans at opening day, I think, but it was it was limited capacity. De- definitely limited, and then they had, like, the vax-only sections. I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of interesting to sort of, like, reflect on everything we've been through. And I know we do this a lot, but, like... I don't know if we do it that often. It's kind of incredible how, maybe for better or worse, the world feels kind of normal like a little a little too normal but even one might say like the obviously knowing that covid is still happening and is still spreading throughout the communities but like it doesn't feel totally unmanageable and you don't see these events and think to yourself good god this is only happening in the southeast of the united states and in russia like there there's a reality of throughout the world people are going to sporting events and for the most part you see an outdoor event like baseball fairly safe i think all things considered you know there's so many things that are happening on a consistent basis that aren't safe and to have this opening day happen with hope and excitement in the air and the day that opening day happens it might be 70 degrees in the city of seattle granted the game isn't here but like i uh in in minneapolis for the record it snowed on sunday out of the women's national championship game there are they they're outdoors now they are outdoors. Wow. Bring back the Metrodome, people. Oh, love the Metrodome. Oh, it, I mean, you just give, of... give me a stadium that's in Ken Griffey Baseball. That's my favorite stadium for that team. Well, the Metrodome was the site of perhaps the Mariners' greatest triumph in franchise history. I t- watched it recently. Went back and it's little, reviewed little big the league. tapes. Yeah. yeah. It, w- so. it was also Dave Megadon's finest acting performance. <laughs> So much Dave Megan in that movie. They could have been Richie Everall. I, I don't know. Dave Megan knew somebody. I meant to ask you if you could name which actual Mariners. I after I, I watched this like three weeks ago. 
like which actual Mariners were in the movie. And I think it's, do you know who they are? I'm pretty well, sure. Randy Johnson is in it. Yeah. Is Jay Buhner in it? Nope. I think it's only three. Well, Griffey, obviously. So it's the three of them? It's and Griffey, Dave Johnson, Megadon. And Dave Megadon. <laughs> They're just like, who did Dave Megadon know that they managed to have? I mean, there are some like pretty random real professional players in that movie who aren't even really yes. highlighted, but like they say Dave Megadon's name. Well, well, look who beat you to this. Who is that? August 16th, 2020, at Cape Felton. Watched Little Big League for the first time since I was a kid. And my big takeaway is, how did Dave Megadon end up such a key player in the movie? That's really funny. <laughs> so, there you go. I like that it. definitely is when you watch it as a Mariners fan. I just, really, you, you're not even watching it as a Mariners fan, just a Megadon fan. But, <laughs> anyway... I was thinking about how going into last year, we were talking about the players who are on the opening day roster. And you were just like, have you ever heard of these people? And I was just like, every, they were like, you were like, how many players on the Mariners opening day roster can you name? And I was just completely clueless. And now my entire fucking life is consumed by the sport of baseball. It is all that I think about. I, I have children playing baseball six out of seven days of the week. <laughs> It is a fucking plight on humanity, the sport of baseball. And yet, and yet, because of probably in spite of all of that, I can't wait for the Mariners season. The Stockholm Syndrome. I'm like, every day I'm just like, damn, I wish the baseball season had started. Like, I'm like counting down to Thursday. I plan on watching baseball maybe every single day when I'm not at a child's baseball practice. I'm not even joking. And like when like paying attention, you know, it's like you were talking about we were talking about uh Seiya Suzuki, right? Right. And you were like, well, the Mariners really weren't in the mix for another outfielder. And I was like, oh well, yeah, their outfield set. They've got and I'm just like, I know this now. <laughs> I know that the Mariners outfield is set. But going into the season, adding the reigning Cy Young winner, which I think people are kind of missing. I understand that we're expecting some regression from Robbie Ray, but you know, you go into the year adding a player like that, plus progression from Logan, Logan Gilbert, the way that Kellenic played at the end of the year, I think... The arrival of Matt Brash is the fifth starter. Hello. I have no idea who that is. Nope. Oh, you missed out on that start. You lost me. There's a baseball... St- I, I feel like for Luke, I just like... I'll read a tweet from Jeff Passan or whatever, Bob Nightingale. These are people I follow on Twitter now. And I'm just like, hey, Luca, this player got traded. I'm like... <laughs> Austin Reeves, is that a guy? No, he plays basketball. Uh, <laughs> uh, That's one for me. I'm like, Johnny Cueto signed a minor league deal with the White Sox, Luca, And he's like, okay. I'm just like... This is a thing that I talk about now. I know that Johnny Cueto signed a minor league deal with the White Sox. It is it is a completely different world than a year ago today. But also some, Indeed it is. some bonus coaches corner. Uh, uh, Luca's select baseball team had a big game this weekend. And... In the last inning, they played They played six innings in Mercer Island. They were playing against former Mariner Bob Stoddard's team, Stodd's team. Uh, and Stodd's are good. They're a good team. And what I concluded in the top of the sixth inning, as there's no five-run rule in the last inning, and the team was getting schlacked, 
they got to pull me out of retirement. I was like, you know what this team needs? This team needs some Tristan murder at head coach. Like they, they need, they needed a coach out there. They needed somebody who could bring some energy. Right. I I was just like the one thing also wasting outs. I I don't want to be the type of person who's criticizing another coach, but the last out of the game happened because players were stealing while the team was down 17 to two. What year did Moneyball come out? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, do, do you think getting a runner from second to third base when you're down by 15 runs matters? I feel like when you're down 15 runs, you're just having fun out there. And Nobody was having fun. fun. I assure you it was pouring rain in Mercer Island. Not a single person in that field, not even on the Stodds team who was up 17-2, to two, was having fun. And I, the, I like that you implied that it was only raining in Mercer Island. <laughs> as if it was like that localized. <laughs> like, right. Oh, and Bell. When and, I went to that tournament in Everett, they, I, they did, I, did I talk about this in the podcast? When I went to a tournament in Everett and they were like, God, what is the term? PNCZ, right? Pacific Northwest Convergence Zone. Uh, is that what they call it? NWCZ. It's a maybe it's a different word. Maybe it's not Pacific Northwest. Uh, maybe it's NWCZ or something. They were like pretty big NWCZ forming, and then it was just the city of Everett, Washington. And it was like yes, PS. Oh, Puget Sound, Sound Convergence Zone. They were like it's just everywhere else, and people would come from other cities to Everett and be like, "Wow, it's beautiful in Bellevue. It's beautiful in Rend. It's beautiful in Seattle." <laughs> and I'm like, "I fucking know." I woke up. The first thing I saw was the tweet. It was sunny outside. I read the tweet, and it was like, "Hey, you're actually driving into the worst place on the face of the earth today." So. This is youth baseball. But the one thing that I know, the one thing that everybody should know is that you don't make the last out of the game when you're down by 15 runs trying to steal third base. That is a very, very specific way to rule of thumb. Just outs. Nobody is telling these kids outs matter. When I play basketball, when I coach basketball, I am telling these kids clear information about how to play the sport of basketball. It's what I excel at. And also, you know what I'm the best at as a coach? That is playing the fucking sport. The thing I believe in, do I care about hitting grounders to the kids over and over and over again? No, I care about things that they're actually going to be dealing with in a game situation, which is if there's a runner on first and second and the ball's grounded to you at shortstop, where do you throw the ball? And I feel like they get so lost in the situational coaches in general. It's just all about fucking stretching and catching grounders, right? How about for once you teach kids how to play baseball? It's just like that's what every single child needs is just to play the sport and understand the situational aspects, and nobody can get in. I was telling Miss Finn, I was like, I was like, did you see those fucking kids I coached at basketball? Those kids were coached at basketball, right? When there was a matchup that needed matching up, I matched those kids up. If we were defending a player, you just turned off the podcast at this point. (laughs) Turn off the cameras. (laughs) If there was a kid who was driving by somebody, I'm like, seg back into the post. Do not pick them up at fucking half court, right? (sighs) Yeah. It drives me crazy. People just... Anyway. Okay. What I'm trying to say is that it was rainy on Mercer Island, and I was outside all day, and I was very frustrated. And this has been Arian of Grievances. <laughs> we had hot takes on Arian of Grievances about <sighs> this wing. So the Kraken. I was holding that in me for two days. 
lost two at home to the Vegas Golden Knights, but uh, got a 4-1 win Sunday. I might need to Dallas. coach them, too. Still third <laughs> in the lottery, NHL lottery standings with 13 games to play one point ahead of both Arizona and Montreal, four points behind the next lowest team, the New Jersey Devils. I really hate to see the Habs playing that badly. Yeah, I mean, they were. I think they were good last year. Weird year. Uh, Sounders returned from the international break with a win Saturday in Minnesota. Nico Lodero and Raul Ruiz Diaz both returned to the lineup. Lodero, who last played on February 27th, started and played the first half. Ruiz Diaz came on for Will Bruin at halftime for his first action since February 24th. Uh, Joao Pelo scored a screamer from outside the box in the first half. And Jordan Morris doubled the lead when his pass was deflected into the back of the net for an own goal. Emmanuel Reynoso got the loons back within a goal in the 82nd minute with a penalty. But the Sounders survived a nervy final few minutes for full points. It was nervy. Can I, get, can I give another complaint here? Oh, no. This is more complaints. Just give Jordan Morris the goal. If it's defended in, don't call it an own goal. Give Jordan Morris so the, the goal in that situation. So the rule of thumb in soccer scoring is if it was on net, on frame, it's a goal. If it was not going to go into the goal and it was deflected in, then it's an own goal. What was this one? You agree with So me? I think he was... I, like I didn't, I don't remember seeing a clear enough replay to be sure about it. I wasn't sure when I like first was writing this in the notes whether he was going to get it or not. But it, if it was a pass, I don't think it was going to go into the goal. It was might have been sideways, basically. Okay. So the Sounders now two two and one in MLS play, still ninth in the Western Conference, exclusively turned their focus to Concacaf Champions League Hello. over the next week. NYC FC, their opponents in the semifinals starting Wednesday at uh, 7 p.m. at Lumen Field. NYC FC off to an even slower MLS start at 1-3-1, ranking 11th in the East. They finished fourth in the conference last year, but with a plus 20 goal differential that was equal to the Sounders. Uh, 538's Soccer Power Index ranks them second in MLS with the Sounders all the way down in eighth. It's not really a star-studded roster like we're used to with the NYCFC in the early days. Brazilian newcomer Thiago Martins is their lone full-designated player with an additional spot used on a young-designated player, but they do have Argentine forward Tati Castellanos, who won the MLS Golden Boot last year with 19 goals. NYCFC did not face Mexican side en route to the semifinals, beating Costa Rican club Santos de Guapiles 6-0 in the round of 16 on aggregate. And Comunicaciones of Honduras, 5-5 via the away gold tiebreaker in the wild second match we discussed last week. Sounders will on Wednesday be without Nuhu due to yellow card accumulation. Mm. Who's playing in the other semifinal? What is that matchup? The other semifinal, I'm pretty sure, is two Mexican clubs. Let me double check that, though. If you want to. uh... I I do feel like in these tournaments, you know, it's like fine. Obviously, you want to play well in the tournament. But part of the fun of it, you know, you could play NYCFC in a year, and it's sort of right. just like, you'd have to assume that the Sounders is the favorite here. And then to get through and to be able to play a match against a Mexican side or a South American side that you're not playing that often, I think that's really the fun of it, is seeing these matchups that are not happening. It's kind of like, playing NYCFC is just, it's whatever. I mean, it is because of the fact that it's an Eastern Conference opponent. Like, you only play one time a year, and there's not really any stakes. So I do think it's, it is it is still kind of fun. But, uh, yeah, on the other side of the bracket, whoever wins this will face a Liga MX team. It's Pumas versus Cruz Azul okay. on the other semifinal. 
it's kind of interesting they don't reseed to avoid that. That's something like Euroleague women's basketball, I know for sure, does that, where like the two best teams <laughs> might be in Russia, but they can't play each other in the final. They have to, I guess they do the opposite. They play, I guess maybe they do do it this way. They play in the semifinals, so it can't be a final of the all Russian. You went so out of your way to cite Euroleague wow. women's basketball wow. and then were wrong about it. <laughs> You were like, obviously, everybody knows Euroleague women's basketball seeds things this way. <laughs> you know, my my expertise is where it is. <laughs> oh my or lack thereof, I guess, is the case may be. But uh, anyways, you know, a real chance for the Sounders to get through to their first final in CONCACAF Champions League in franchise history. I have to say that they're the favorite looking at this. Although... Did I mention uh, the soccer, soccer power, power index? index? Yes, you mentioned that. You also table. mentioned yeah. last week that you think soccer power index is more important than winning the Euro, apparently. <laughs> did I say that? I'm pretty sure you did. Uh, you actually said it's coming home, finishing higher oh, in soccer no. power index. Oh, no. No, if it's coming home, that's the U.S. For sure. Oh, well, Rain. Got a nice one nothing win Saturday at the Portland Thorns with Rose Lavelle scoring her first goal of 22 is the Hello. only one in Saturday's matchup at Providence Park, moving the rain atop the NWSL Challenge Cup West standings. Uh, Portland also has seven, but yeah, Portland also has seven points, but the rain have a match in hand and will finish out the Challenge Cup with three matchups against the two expansion teams in their division, Angel City and FC, FC and San Diego Wave FC the latter of whom got their first win head-to-head against Angel City FC on Saturday. Uh, that'll be after NWSL takes this weekend off for an international break. U.S. women's national team playing a pair of friendlies against Uzbekistan <laughs> on Saturday and next Tuesday with Lavelle and Rain defenders a lot of cooking Sophia Huerta. They're going back-to-back back against Uzbekistan. Yeah, you know, it's a long trip from Uzbekistan. Yeah, I would want to play. You're going to get your buy two games, yeah. <laughs> That's a fierce rivalry, the U.S. and Uzbekistan in women's soccer. They set it up, as everybody knows, in international women's soccer friendlies. This going to be a fun callback. Uh, speaking of women's basketball, WNBA draft is next Monday. Uh, Storm traded their first-round pick as part of their deal for Gabby Williams earlier this year, but we'll have three picks in the second round, number 17, number 18, and number 21, as well as the 33rd overall pick in the third round. It's going to be difficult for any of those players to make the final roster with 12 players who were on WNBA teams last year in training camp. And unless they waive veteran guard Epiphany Prince, whose salary is non-guaranteed, Storm has room to keep just 11 players to start the season. So... Probably not going to see any of these players make it. What, the one thing I'm watching is will the Storm use probably the third round pick on uh, East Side native Anna Wilson, whose Stanford Cardinal career came to an end when they lost in the uh, national semifinal in her sixth year of eligibility. Unfortunately, there's not a team in Denver. <laughs> Has there ever been a women's uh, WNBA team in Denver? I don't believe. I don't think there. Was there an ABL team? There might have been an ABL team. There's never been a WNBA team. That's kind of weird, right? Not really a huge women's basketball market. The people of Denver are deeply sexist. (laughs) I didn't say that. I mean, it's not as strange as the fact that there's never been a team in the Bay Area, which is a big women's basketball market. That's also pretty strange. Yeah. 
hopefully that will be resolved by expansion as well at some point here. Uh, and so Anna Wilson is not considered a first-round pick necessarily. No, I mean, she's, you know, an elite individual defender, but uh, not a big-time scorer or playmaker. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, especially at the WNBA level. And she's pretty undersized for, you know, someone who's not really a full-time point guard at, like, five foot nine. Now, the Wilson family has not had very much success being third-round <laughs> picks, third right? Round picks, yeah, you know, not very limited success. <laughs> I mean, you you probably want to take her in the third round, just in case. You never know. In fairness, Anna Wilson was Though she won a championship with the Cardinal last year, not the college player that uh, Russell was. I don't think her her projections are going to be as strong as Russ's. The asterisk back in the Football Outsiders projections. Oh God! Yeah, we traded him, but we got Drew Lock back. I haven't checked his Football Outsiders projections. <laughs> There's an asterisk. I think oh, I think those Football Outsiders projections has... have been like pretty widely. They've, they've not been as strong lately. I, I would say. But he it's did very... have a very good college career. Oh, yeah. I mean, production was not the issue. No, I, I mean, it was just because he was short. It's the only reason he was drafted in the third round. That's it. It would be pretty interesting to see. I, I feel like teams are still very prejudiced against short quarterbacks, but maybe not as much as they were then. Well, yeah, like partially because of Russell Wilson. But, but if you could, if you could. Now it's all about hand size, though. Russell Wilson does have some big hands. That is true. What God, who, is it the dude from Kenny Pickett who has tiny hands? Yeah, Kenny Pickett is the small hands. <laughs> it's like I I don't know. Maybe the like breathless reporting about the people measuring his hands. They're like <laughs> it's like it's too much for me. So I stupid. can't do it. So dumb. Just I like whatever people determine that they want to latch on to, and that's the thing to care about. Uh, you know. It is what it is. If Hannah Wilson goes undrafted, we compare to we can compare to Russell Wilson's baseball career. <laughs> he, right? Or I mean, I'm he, was he drafted in baseball? He probably was. Yeah, he was definitely drafted in baseball, wasn't he? Because his rights got traded. Didn't he they? was drafted by the Rangers because he was Russell Wilson. No, he wasn't Russell Wilson yet. This was when he was in college because he played minor league baseball before he was in the NFL. Yeah, his rights got traded to the Rangers. Or he was drafted by Tri Cities. He's tr- he got traded by the Rangers to the Yankees, remember? Because he wanted to be in spring training with the yeah. Yankees. When he was created leverage for his contract negotiation with the Ver- with the Seahawks, remember? Uh. <laughs> That's another great storyline. I'm surprised the anti-Russell Wilson people haven't brought that up yet. <laughs> he was drafted, uh, let's see, the oh, I guess he was, so he was drafted by the Rangers in the 2013 Wolf 5 draft. The Rockies... Wow, there oh, was a Colorado that. connection all along. The Rockies were the team that originally drafted him in the fourth round wow. in 2010. He's coming home. <laughs> Finally, I- man, always wanted to get, get back home. You know, Colorado, they just really supported him from the very beginning. That's actually pretty hilarious. Not occurred to me one single time since that trade. He never played for the Rockies. No, he never played for any major league team. But he played in Ranger spring training. Yeah, I don't think he would have would have appeared in Rocky's spring training. No, hmm. he was probably playing spring football at that point. Always had an affinity for Denver. Loved playing with bad wide receivers. <clears throat> Maybe they're good wide receivers when they're not playing with uh, well, Teddy Bridgewater. Is good. Whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa! Yeah, I will. I will say no ill words about Teddy yeah. Bridgewater on this here podcast. Lateral movement, a, quarterbacks wise. This has always been a pro Teddy Bridgewater. Who is their tight end now? Now that fans gone. 
Oh, I don't know. If that came up on Weddle, I would have zero chance. <laughs> I think they had another pretty good tight end. Was there? He was like a number eighty-eight, maybe. I don't know. Uh, UW softball took two out of three at Arizona. They won the opener 12-7 despite giving up four more runs than Arizona had scored in its first six Pac-12 games combined. <sighs> Gabby Plain was hit hard again, surrendering six runs in four and two-thirds innings. But the Huskies rallied for seven runs in the sixth, capped by a three-run Jalen Ulchin homer. Olivia Johnson also slugged a pair of homers on Friday. They won 7-5 on Saturday behind two home runs from Bailey Klingler, then lost 10-9 on Sunday despite three solid innings of work from Gabby Plain. Started Kelly Lynch was knocked out in the first inning, and Pat Moore gave up four runs in two and two-thirds innings to take the loss after the Huskies headed to the bottom of the seventh with a 9-8 lead. Huskies have this weekend off because the Pac-12, as we always go over, has an odd number of softball teams. <laughs> They'll next be in action on Tuesday, visiting crosstown rival Seattle U. Who doesn't play softball? Remind me. Uh, I don't have the list off. The the Cougs definitely don't play softball. It's three teams. Three teams. At least. Wow. It's probably Colorado hearing what they think about the WNBA. (laughs) (laughs) It it is, in fact, Colorado. How the fuck? Where's Colorado getting away with all this? I I mean, they must have other women's sports. It's probably like they have some sort of skiing or something. I don't know. That seems, uh, no, your skiing is not sponsored by the Pac-12, but maybe they do it with another conference. Who is the third team who is not on this list, not looking at it alphabetically? Utah? Hmm. Not Utah? Utah does have softball. They're they're two and four so far in Pac-12 play. The Oregon schools both have, USC inexplicably does not have softball. I'm kind of surprised by that. Yeah, that's pretty shocking. Hmm. Hmm. That's all I have to say you, about the city of Denver. Hmm. The, the, and, have, and in this case, not, yeah. not Denver, but actually Boulder. Boulder, <laughs> yes. I mean, they have other women's sports programs, clearly. Some, some that UW doesn't have, I'm, by definition, to uh, meet Title IX criteria. Uh, for example, let's see here. Do they have, they have swimming and diving? No, that just looks like UCLA and USC are the only two left in that one. Uh, it, it, just, it just gets a rating of... Hmm. They did, there were the Colorado Silver Bullets, though. Yes, that's true. I, was that actually? Did they? Was it just because Coors was their sponsor? <laughs> Angie Arlotti was part of that team. You'll recall. Incredible SpawnCon. <laughs> Top-notch SpawnCon. I was not expecting a Colorado Silver Bullets reference on today's pod. UW football news. <sighs> Virginia running back Wayne Tullapapa announced his transfer to UW. The native of Hawaii played four years for the Cavaliers, starting 27 of 32 games over the last three, but never got the bulk of carries, topping out at 11 per game as a junior. Averaged a career-high 5.2 yards per carry last season when his playing time was limited by suffering a pair of concussions. Uh, naturally, has just one year of eligibility remaining as a fifth-year senior. Was kind of modestly involved in the passing game. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he factors into the mix in a pretty wide open running back depth chart for the Huskies. Uh, it seemed like I, I was looking up Wayne Talapapa's stats. It seemed like Virginia under Bronco Mendenhall just didn't run the ball very much. and Not a ton, no. And they were going through a coaching change this offseason, so it felt like a pretty natural time. 
Uh, and he had followed Bronco Mendenhall there, uh, had originally committed to BYU oh, when Mendenhall was coaching. That there. makes sense. Yeah. I was like, how did somebody named Wayne Talapapa get to fucking you, Virginia? Yeah, how do you get from Hawaii to Virginia? That's a long, okay. it's a long that trip. That makes it's a, a lot, shorter lot to more sense to me. Because <laughs> I was like, he's, his name is Wayne Talapapa and he plays for Virginia. This doesn't really check out. Uh, okay. I mean, there must be... Uh, you know, a, a degree of Simone or Native Hawaiian population on the East Coast of the United States, but definitely not as much is on the West Coast of the United States. And then also the like the strong ties to BYU. I felt pretty natural, though, as far as like you dub the running back depth. There's a lot of depth, but not necessarily a lot of there's players there. there. There are players, some of whom I think, you know, could be pretty exciting, but definitely, I think, needed another experienced running back. So, I mean, things are very wide open with the UW running back. Depth I chart. mean, things are pretty wide open in a lot of places across the program. I think the good thing about the things being wide open is, give it, given the coaching change, they have maintained a high degree of consistency from last season. I don't think that the Kalen DeBoer change, and maybe this is more of a football vis-a-vis basketball type of thing in general, but it doesn't feel like there was sort of like a whole generation of players lost. It felt yes. like the generation of players that were developing under Jimmy Lake are still here with Kalen DeBoer and probably hopefully their talent will be maximized within a new offense. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put but, it. But I think from the initial sort of conversation it felt like Michael Penix Jr. is probably entering this season as the favorite for starter and, uh, which makes I sense. Think it, if we were doing odds, I would give him better than fifty percent odds of being the starter on, you know, September third or whatever the date is. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Somebody would have to play very impressively, and you know, the goal is obviously to develop Heward into the place where he is an extraordinarily good quarterback, and it might mean taking another year, especially with a lefty ahead of him. I kind of like it. Uh, yes. The but the reality is, it's probably as long as he's healthy, Michael Penix's job this year. I wouldn't be shocked if Dylan Morris stuck around, especially given some of the injury history with Michael Penix. You could look at that if you're Dylan Morris and say to yourself, I can play this year. And I think if he was number two in line, if they told Dylan Morris, you're the backup, but you're ahead of Sam Heward in the depth chart, I think he stays. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially like if it's clear that he's not going to win the job out of spring camp, maybe he could transfer in time to be part of a competition elsewhere in the fall. Otherwise it's probably worth just sticking out the season because it's not like the old days where you had to get that transfer in. So you could sit out the season because you were going to, otherwise you're going to have to sit out two basically. But that sort of seemed to be the conversation, but I, I like the idea of adding another experience running back. I thought that was a nice signing. Uh, you know, not necessarily a game-changing thing. And the hope is that the offense is going to revolve around the quarterback. So, you know, running back similar to probably what he was dealing with with Bronco Mendenhall is sort of um, a change of pace type piece in the offense. But could, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he was the starting running back on day one for UW. It wouldn't be shocking, no. There was another commitment that you might have missed later. of a Yeah, three three-star wide receiver. Yeah. I don't know that we need to go over every recruit individually. It just happened today, so... Uh, that's Keith Reynolds from Adelanto, California. I have no idea where Adelanto is. I saw that and I was like, I don't know if you were here in Seattle today, but turn back. Oh, no, don't, don't tell him. I was just like, don't I don't know if Fresno State offered you. Chef Tedford seems like a really good coach. Go there. Just play with Jake Hayner for a year. No, he would He's would be 
way after Jake Hayner. Uh, yes, but it was like it's, it's in San Bernardino country in in the desert, so Seattle might actually look so uh, bad. It's too hot. Uh, Although I mean, obviously, you'd be very close to home. To I don't stay think Pepperdine in, plays in football, area. but maybe just go there and don't play football. <laughs> just a little bit of it's just life advice. You know what I mean? I I mean, I think Pepperdine's probably pretty expensive if you don't get the scholarship. San Diego That's State. Just my assumption. Uh, I'm sure that there's another Pac-12 school. You know, I Cal might have offered. Anyway, it was just uh, I experienced the weather today. It hailed, uh, it hailed, it thundered. I worried about the power going out in April. Uh, so you know, just consider it. <laughs> I hope he doesn't. I'm always coaching. I'm always coaching. Always coaching. His other offers were from Arizona State, which I think that's that's some preferable weather. Colorado State, Graham, of which you've heard you've heard some very bad things about the state of Colorado in this podcast. Yeah, seriously. Gram- Grambling State and Idaho State, his other offers. All right. Yeah. I guess he made the right call. Uh let's talk quickly about the Seahawks to wrap things up. I do up. wonder, I actually had a thought about this though. Do do you think that Kalen DeBoer is maybe filling up too many recruits with like three-star type players? Or do you think it makes sense to be offering on these players right now? I mean, those are always going to make up the bulk of your class as UW, I think. Okay. This isn't USC. Like even, you know, even when Coach Pete was recruiting kind of the highest of his capabilities, the important thing is to get the right three-star players, I think. Okay. And so we just have to have faith that Kalen DeBoer as coach can coach these players and find the players that he wants for his system. Right. Okay. I'll accept it. I just was like, ah, are you, are you too used to, I mean, it's not like he's been a head coach for that long. He's only been a head coach for two fucking years. Right. But I mean, if it was a two star receiver, it'd be a different thing. Like he had another PAC 12 offer. Also the star system's complete horseshit. Uh, I mean, it's not that meaningful for an individual player. It was especially when people break it down and they're like, he's the eighth best player, not the first. It's just like, okay. <laughs> yes, based on what? Whoa, it's whoa, he was a four-star recruit, not five. And just like, according to who? According to what? Anyway, the, the system is is absurd. 24-7 sports lists two very different heights for Keith Reynolds. He's listed at 5'10", one spot, but 5'7", the other. This is the shit right there. 24-7 sports can't figure out how tall... <laughs> He is. I mean, one of those may be old, maybe outdated. Oh, he might have grown three inches school. recently. But like, if he was like when he first entered the database, it, it is one of those things where they're like, we trust two four seven sports. It's like that's it. He's a three star player. Like you get this rating on you, and it. I I think the whole thing is very absurd. I mean, twenty four seven sports is doing a good thing in terms of aggregating the rankings of many sites, which I think is is a good way to approach it. Wisdom of crowds, etc. Uh, if you're viewing it on a large enough scale, it matters. As an individual player, it does not matter at all. Correct. Russell Wilson was the third round pick. <sighs> on the Seahawks, my ESPN colleague Jeremy Fowler reported over the weekend that DK Metcalf would be available in trade quote at the right price. But then again, so, aren't we all? Well. <laughs> Was that Rich Eisen? Is that his? His or is that Stuart Scott? I I mean they work together. Maybe they, they the... kind of both did it. I th- yeah. I don't want to credit it to the wrong one. So, I mean, I do think there's 
some smoke here. Don't you? I'm looking up who said this. Oh, it's a Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick. <laughs> That's the real answer. There you go. It was neither. But then again, aren't we all? Yeah, that makes sense. Dan Patrick. Uh, look, it's been a long time since the 90s. I've drank 10 Rainier Tallboys on the cast live. Uh, I, I don't know. What, what were the odds? I don't can't remember what the odds were we gave on DK Metcalf. <laughs> that was just last week. week so I'm I'm up in mind to ten percent. What if you were at fifteen last week? <laughs> I think I was at five. I. It's a question I'm very curious to ask Mike Sean. I think the, the most show. important thing is, would you be shocked if they traded DK? If if all of a sudden you got a push notification, probably see it on Twitter first. But like, if you got a notification that was the Seahawks have traded DK Metcalf for a first round pick and a second round pick. Would you be shocked? No, I would be surprised, but I would not be shocked. And and I think that's where I was genuinely shocked when they traded Russell Wilson, like uh, that. I fully did not expect that to happen. But the second that happened, the Seahawks entered the zone of anything that they do after that. I would not be surprised about except for signing Rashad Penny. <laughs> No, 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 no not, I guess that's that not is, signing. Sure, yeah, Rashad not Benny. signing Rashad Benny. I would have been surprised about. No, like, but the reality is, mm. at that I mean, point, I would have been shocked if they didn't pay Will Disley ten eight million a year. <laughs> at that point, the second they traded Russell Wilson, kind of all bets were off with the Seahawks because you just don't, you truly do not know what they're looking for, what the plan is, and I think you could sort of get a sense of it from the outside. But the reality is, we have no fucking clue what the Seahawks are going to do in the front office, and. If this is a front office that that actually sees Drew Locke as their starting quarterback to begin next year, who says to themselves, as Mike Sean pinned them in the corner to say, we can win a Super Bowl with Drew Locke as the quarterback. Literally anything they say could be a lie, could be true. Anything they to anything they can choose to do could be true. I mean, it was, certainly was. Unintentionally created. I, they unintentionally created more drama by using precisely the same word we intend to extend DK that they had said about it, ha- intending to have Russell Wilson on the roster a week before they traded him. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't take them at their word from that standpoint I, at this point. I think the reality is is that we don't know what DK's value is to other teams. And I think if they see the right offer, they will, they will pull the trigger on that offer. So he's available at the right price. I mean, obviously, like, <clears throat> how many players in the NFL are not available at the right price? I think there are some that aren't available at the right price. But I think it, there's a difference between available at the right price and, well, if you're going to make that offer then yeah he's available you know what i'm saying i think there's a there's a nuance between those two I, things i agree <clears throat> like patrick mahomes is available at the right price if the no, right there's no there's no price I, there's no amount there of draft is a price picks. no if the price no. is justin herbert and three drafts no that's the price i you're wrong you're not available at any price they would do it what's, what's patrick mahomes gen cap by the way oh yeah but that's one year Okay, well, 
That one year you might win the Super Bowl right now. They just straight up traded Tyree Kill. There is there is a price. There's for that a, that's there's a huge difference between Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes. I think Herbert is probably the most untradeable player in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes dead cap this year if he were traded. How much? I mean, I guess this is traded. Uh, this is cut. A hundred and thirty million. <laughs> it's more than the salary cap. No, I guess it's only like half the salary cap. It's. I love the idea of hundred and thirty million salary cap. Maybe he is the most untradeable player because of the dead cap money, but as far as value goes, I think it's Mahomes who's the or, or Herbert who's the most untradeable player. It, it, I still think it's Mahomes. If you were to just apples to apples, Mahomes is way older than Herbert is. He's somewhat older than Herbert is. He's twenty seven, my dude. Oh, He's my not God. way older than anybody. <laughs> Is it, he, I guess he's way older than your children. Not that much. I see. Mahomes has a $27.4 million roster bonus that wasn't factoring in. So there would be only a $95 million additional cap hit that they would incur. <laughs> he is only three years older than Herbert. But yeah, he is not that old. Uh, I think Josh Allen is pretty untradeable at this point. I mean, look, no one is going to make the kind of offers that would cause these players to get traded. It, it would take one of the other untradeable players. Sure. To to equal one of the other untradeable players. And I think that's kind of the issue. But I think there's a difference in the plausibility of DK Metcalf getting traded today and DK Metcalf getting traded a year ago because of the Russell Wilson trade and because of the wide receiver market. His plausibility of getting traded is higher now than it used to be that doesn't mean it's gonna happen but I think it's it, plausible I really think it might happen well what odds are you putting on it at this point i mean i think it's like a 35 percent chance wow one in three better than one in three well it, again we don't know what the market looks like but if they can get a first and a second for tk metcalf i think that they do it I think they could get that. And and I think so too. That's that's what the situation is. Like I think they'd hold out for two first. I think they gotta get the Frank Clark package. They got two first for Frank Clark? Didn't they? No. Or did they get a first and a second? I mean he's I definitely guess, yeah, they worth didn't, more than they Frank didn't Clark. Get a first. They didn't yeah, they they didn't have a second sec first the next year, so I guess they didn't. I mean he's still got a year he's still got a cheap year, like Frank Clark was already on the franchise tag by that point. I mean, if they get offered two firsts for DK Metcalf, I think that they do that every time. Yeah, it was a first and a conditional second and a swap of thirds. So. Let's see. I, I still think unfortunately it's... forfeited all three picks. Oh, no. <laughs> Drafted Delano Hill three times. Huh. And they have to run staffing defensive, <laughs> t- defensive ends. They traded all three picks to pay Will Disley $8 million a year. The pick swap, which led to them paying Austin Blythe $4 million. I don't know how that ended up happening, but it was yeah, a loophole. It was a loophole in the cap. Uh, but... Uh, there seems to be a lot of chatter around DK, which we don't know why. We do know why. I mean, 
it's a logical thing given the wide receiver market this offseason, given two top wide receivers have already gotten traded, uh, that we know that there are several wide receivers who are up for big extensions this offseason as part of DK's draft class. And also that we know the Seahawks already traded Russell Wilson. Yeah. So we know why. People are doing the math and they're looking at it and they're like, well, the Seahawks don't prioritize stuff like this. I still think, the again, the odds are overwhelmingly likely that they'll extend DK, but wouldn't be shocked. Okay. What I would be shocked by is to learn that DK Metcalf's diet. Uh-uh. He's shared with KJ, Kevin Garnett on the KG Certified Podcast consists of a coffee after his morning workout, mm-hmm. water and three bags of candy in the afternoon, and then one full meal at dinner. Mm-hmm. What? How is this possible? He's like 20 fucking four years old. Anything is possible when you're that age. I don't know if anything is possible. There's a lot There's a lot more that's possible at that age. I you'd think you just need more fuel for your workouts at that point. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, Sue, Sue Bird was uh, pretty amused by this on this the Bird and Tarasi show during the uh, women's final four, which was a smash hit, a great watch. I watched on Sunday during the championship. Pe- game. People take everything that people say, or do you have a quote about this? No. Oh, they take everything that people say one time as if it's gospel. And do I really think that DK Metcalf is eating this every single day of his entire life? Is he regimented where it's just like, this is it? It's like, no, he probably eats that sometimes and sometimes he eats meals or whatever. Like, I don't, everything is, is, I'm going to use the term marketing here. And I mean, it's sort of like. It's more branding. Or branding. It's like self-definition of public character. And that's what's happening. It's not a thing you can follow up on, right? Like, it, it's not a thing that you can track, but it's a lot more fun than being like, I eat three square meals a day. You know, it's a lot more fun. Than- I mean, I don't know if I expect him to eat three square meals a day. I, I probably expect it to be more in the realm of The Rock, where he's like, got to be constantly eating things for the sake of just burning those calories. There, there's two different ways to approach this conversation, right? Which is, I, I'm like a, a physical beast i can do whatever off three bags of candy and a coffee and one meal or i'm a physical beast all i do is eat all day there's two different ways that you can brand yourself there's no in between right it's not like well you know i eat a reasonable diet like you know again, I, I have a, i have some granola a, a sandwich for lunch a large dinner that that is not a fun thing to talk about this is only a news story if it's something interesting it's fucking dumb I, there's so much that goes into all of life. Every single bit of life is basically self-branding. And we buy into it constantly, constantly. That's all we do. <laughs> Says the guy refers to himself as fantasy genius. I've never once uh, referred to myself that way. Look, I'm just not very good at fantasy anymore. DK Metcalf is six foot four, two thirty five. I don't think... I expect his meal to consist of three his diet to consist of three square meals a day. Like it shouldn't look like my diet does. But it shouldn't look like he's taking in less calories than your diet. And we know that I it's not the case. That. And the reality is it's maybe a thing that he did does like sometimes, and maybe it's a thing that he doesn't do sometimes. But it sounds a lot better if it is he's just like, this is what I do, and you can lean into it, right? 
it's I all self branding, and same as like Russell Wilson, where he's like, I sleep three hours a day or whatever. It's all self branding. No, Russell Wilson, like it's well documented how early he does stuff. He gets to the practice facility. I bet you I that motherfucker that goes legit. to bed at eight p.m. I wouldn't be surprised by that, but I think he's up. Might be up at three a.m. Uh, and also, he occasionally stays up late for Anna Wilson scams. Bobby Wagner officially signed with the Rams God, on this Monday. <laughs> we have talked about this strictly from the Rams' perspective. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be wearing number 45 because both 9 and 54 are taken with the Rams. And with the contract official, we got the contract details. Uh, $10 million guaranteed as of signing. That includes his $5 million signing bonus, $1.5 million guaranteed 2022 salary. And then I guess technically not guaranteed at signing, but his $3.5 million roster bonus for 2023 guarantees this Friday. So assuming the Rams don't waive him within the next three days, he'll be getting at least $10 million. That's the, so that's now, the $3.5 million plus the salary for the season. Gets him to like... Yeah, $5 million signing bonus, $1.5 million and a half guaranteed salary. $3.5 million roster bonus next year. Uh, then he'll have up to $3.5 million annual incentives based on a combination of playing time, team performance, and honors, including $1 million for All-Pro, $500,000 for the Pro Bowl if the team improves its ranking in certain defensive categories. Uh, Mike Flory of Pro Football Talk pointed out the Rams could use the offset of next year's roster bonus to get out of this contract, ultimately paying him just $6.5 million for one year if they waive him next year. In response, Wagner said on Twitter, agents really don't want to see players represent themselves even if they pose no threat. But at least if you're going to report the contract, you should get the details correct. So, Do you think that Florio did get those details correct or he didn't, right? I mean, the details are the same as reported by everyone else. So I, it's unclear what the substantive complaint is from Wagner on that one. You said he would be guaranteed $10 million, though, if... He'd be guaranteed $10 million. But offset Florio's point is offset language would allow the Rams to not pay him that roster bonus potentially if he signs a contract with another team for more than three point five million if he's waived next season. Which I, I don't know the NFL salary cap well enough to adjudicate that particular dispute. It seems like that's the correct interpretation. I don't know. Hold on one second. We're coming back to branding here. <laughs> oh no. Why are we coming back to Brandon? No, this is maybe even more of a relationships point because I think I think Bobby's probably right that Mike Florio is pointing this out because of his relationships with agents. And agents have a vested interest in players having agents. This is correct. So I, I don't I don't think he's ultimately wrong about it, but Bobby Wagner is definitely the initial number that we saw, the five for fifty. It's clearly horseshit. Like we knew that that wasn't the actual deal, and when we saw the actual deal, people which, are, which no NFL contracts are waste their reporting, and it's fine. But it's except it, it's a branding except thing. When, except for the Bill Will Disley one, which came out to eight million per year, no matter how many <laughs> years you have. It's a good for. agent, that right there. The one. I will tell you what Will Disley has is a good fucking agent because that agent convinced the Seahawks that there was another team who was willing to pay Will Disley. I don't know if I'm willing to give the credit to, with all due respect to Will Disley's agent, I think the Seattle Seahawks are the variable here. I, he has a good agent, and he also was willing to, a good agent can leverage how strongly Pete Carroll feels about Will Disley. But I'm saying, if Pete Carroll didn't feel that strongly about Will Disley, it wouldn't matter who the agent is. 
I, sp- I suppose that's true. But a good you agent can leverage it. If you have two teams interested, you can leverage a pretty good contract. But why the Seahawks were interested at their price point is a different question entirely. The, But for Bobby, it was a lot about this branding of himself as somebody who is representing himself and wanting this deal to look as good as possible, which it's he probably ended up at the number he should be getting on the open market, right? Like, there were reports and that... There's he, a lot of upside. I mean, if he does play well and achieves well, these bonuses, which can in, require a lot, like he has to play 90% of defensive snaps and get a postseason berth, and the Rams are top five in net points allowed, net yards allowed, net passing yards allowed per passing play. I guess that's all three of those. Upside deals but, are for fools. Like, we know that. Come on. And... And it's just, it could be manipulated so easily because you're negotiating this contract with a team and who decides when Bobby Wagner plays? It's not Bobby Wagner, it's the team, right? Sure, there, there, I don't think... They... There is a vested interest in, they probably are not going to be manipulating his contract or his playing time for his contract because the deal itself will do that for them. I mean, I think just, you know, players miss time due to injuries, things like that will do that for them. I mean, basically what we're looking at is... It's about it is in fact about ten million per season. It's just the number of seasons that's pretty variable. So if the Rams decide to keep Wagner for two thousand twenty three, he'll have a seven point five million base season, base salary for that season. Get the t- and then he also gets his two point five million roster bonus for two thousand twenty four guaranteed. So at that point he'd be looking at twenty million plus incentives for two years. It's ten million plus incentives for one year if they waive him next year. And so on, pretty but much. The, and the so decision forth. making and the flexibility is all on the team side. It's not. On well, he does side. have the ability to opt out of the contract anytime between 2024 and 26. Great. But he's fucking he over 30 90%. years old and not at a premium position. Like, that's I, great for him. I'm telling you, these are all things that if I'm negotiating this as a team and he's like, I want this. And it's just like, OK, you know what I mean? Like. There are realities to the situation that Bobby Wagner is in that an agent probably couldn't have done differently. Right. So it's just it's just a reality of the situation, which is why the Seattle Seahawks released Bobby Wagner, franchise icon. But I mean it'd be it'd be interesting to know if they had offered him, well, hey, ten million for next year. They offered him nothing. They won't they this it'd be it'd be interesting to know. I don't know if he would have taken it. In this hypothetical scenario that did not happen. I think part of the reason it didn't happen is because they knew how he would feel about it. Sure. That's fine. Look, the Seahawks still did wrong here by Bobby Wagner. And it's the communication aspect of it yes. was clearly a failure. It's not necessarily the valuation aspect of it. And and I think I think that's totally right. Look, the Seahawks moving on from Bobby Wagner, I don't think it's the wrong decision. If they'd kept Russell Wilson and were still trying to compete for next year, which they are not, I repeat, they are not trying to re- compete next year they're going into the season with drew Locke as their starting quarterback oh, they're they're trying to compete but i wouldn't the, say i've been missing it even if the Se- seahawks were serious about competing for next year i keep waiting for this baker mayfield trade to get announced and there's no smoke there's only smoke around them trading away dk metcalf but i mean you know maybe that's just gonna emerge out of the quiet there was no smoke around the russell wilson trade either i've been i've been at the ready for an emergency pod for a long time and <laughs> you're, you're just like walking around with tanks just ready to go just in case i'm so pro baker cannot even believe it but if, even if they were trying to compete next year or or an objective person could say that they had the ability to compete next year 
Does that does that feel okay to you? Yeah. Letting go and moving on from Bobby made sense. We talked about this during the season. You know, we knew when he was injured at the end of the year, that was it. It was done for Bobby. And it was Cody Barton's job. I mean, I don't know that we knew. Can I look up what percentage chance you gave of Bobby Wagner returning? Tell me. It, tell oh, me. It's it like was, 90, it was, 90% that he was gone. It was, in fact, 90%. It was, in fact, 90%. Go to the fucking videotapes. <laughs> Who, what did everybody case, else give? believe in this case it's audio tape. Uh, ben said 33% chance of wrong! returning. Wrong! I said 45% oh, chance of him returning. Also wrong. Are we coming back on these and we're adding up the percentage chances? I mean, the offseason is not over yet. We didn't do DK and Metcalf. Eventually, but... eventually. Yes. Uh, Mike Sean said 80% chance of Bobby returning. So April 22nd. <clears throat> Felton Cats live. <laughs> we're going to call him out. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but, wow. I'm I'm not feeling very good about my five percent chance of Chris Carson returning. Oh, you think it's much higher? Oh yeah, yeah. They are gonna run the damn ball. Peach just by the hat. Um, you know that he has one. Just there's a drawer. <laughs> Break in case of run the damn ball. Is Pete a hat guy? I don't feel like Pete's a hat guy. No, he's probably not a hat guy. A monocle guy, definitely a monocle guy. I think I've seen. Yeah, I guess he occasionally has worn a hat during the rain, uh, but it's not a very common thing. Anyway, they were moving on from Bobby Wagner either way. I think the deal is fine. Bobby Wagner got the deal he should have gotten. He's not having to pay an agent's commission. That's it. All the other bits, I think, are bullshit. Like, the the upside, it's not real. Like, it, it's a thing. The team has all the leverage because he's an over-30-year-old linebacker, and they're going to have the leverage no matter what. So that's it. I can tell you at the same time, though, I, I don't know the specifics of Von Miller's deal and what's guaranteed and what isn't. Von Miller got himself a monster deal. Yeah, Von Miller plays a premium position. Bobby Wagner doesn't. I, I think there are slight differences. Von Miller is also older than Bobby Wagner is. By a couple of years. I, I do think there is sort of a, He won the Super Bowl. He had a sheen. Von Miller had, had a beautiful sheen on him. And I think the Bills wildly overpaid for him. But... Bobby, I mean, what, Bobby was Von Miller's, what was Von Miller's biggest contract? It was bigger than, than, you know, previously than Wagner's contract was, wasn't it? Probably. Like, again, he plays a premium position. He, he's, he plays a premium position and he's a slightly better player. So, I, I mean, I don't know that he is a better player relative to his position, but his position is better. Okay. So, all right. I, I wanted to talk for a second. This is the very end of the podcast about the Saints Jets deal that happened today. Saints okay. Eagles deal too. Um, <laughs> yes, that one. And the the Saints being willing to pay such a premium for a bad pick this year. Not a bad pick, but like uh, a middle middle of the round first. It, a, after the the middle of the round of the first round pick this year. Well, they, I mean, the 16 is the one they essentially got. They already had 18, traded that for 19, didn't they? Am I misremembering this? I thought they traded for 19 this year. Yeah, but they started out with 18. So they already had that. Oh, and the 16 was the new one they got. Right. So they got an exactly average first round pick. Yes. And to do that, they gave up the premium of 
a second round pick next year, correct? Well, they give up next year's first. Yes, but that's basically they, switching a first for a first. And the second in 2024. And, and, and then a third this year. And so they're they were paying the premium of a third this year and a second eventually for the 16th pick in the draft. And I just really come back to this point of I look around everywhere. I see the fucking former CEO of Starbucks or whatever. I see people throughout the country. And I really think that despite the fact that for the most part, most of us are on the outside looking into these institutions and organizations, people in positions of power are really fucking stupid. And it's not even just that. I mean, it's that the difference between... I don't, be, I don't believe that in a, is, a, is a term, first off, sure. just categorically speaking. But I don't think you can apply normal logic to situations that you might have as somebody on the outside to somebody on the inside and think that they should think the same way as you or that they should think consistently with what is the logical thing to think within that precipice. And there's always somebody out there who's going to think differently, who's not going to value something long-term and I think that we have this weird balance in American culture of assuming that people who are in positions of power are very, very good at what they do and didn't just end up there because they ended up there, right? Or I qualified mean, to be there. But you can be qualified to be certain aspects of the role and not other aspects of the role. How many NFL GMs have trained as negotiators? Probably not very many. So they might be extremely good at scouting players or something like that, but not necessarily at valuing draft picks because those are different skill sets. Mm -hmm. And there are almost, and, almost no GMs who have the full like gamut of these skills. I mean, there's there's no people on earth that has the full gamut of these skills. What you would need is you know an effective team working together. But the other thing I've said this many times on on this podcast you know, from my own experience in pro sports, there's always a reason. There was a reason the Seahawks paid Austin Blythe four times as much as he made last offseason <laughs> in free agency. It's because they valued his experience in the Rams offensive line. And they were like, we need to get. This Why did they sign player. Austin Blythe last year then? Curious. Andy Dickerson was the offensive line coach. So maybe that was it. I don't know. Uh, same thing with Will Disley. It was like, there are reasons the Seahawks value Will Disley so much. Those reasons just ultimately aren't objectively verifiable or, you know, uh, true over the wisdom of crowds, which is generally the best predictor. And the other thing that should, we should note at some point here, like we, I don't think we've specifically said this about, like, look, Drew Locke might be great this season. Who knows? The NFL is fucking random. Lots of really bizarre things happen in the NFL. No one, none of us thought that Justin. We watched Justin Herbert play so many games I know, he's at Oregon. So bad. And Josh we Allen too. In right? Like Josh Allen, I swear to God. Like, well, Josh Allen, we had never seen. Like, we'd maybe watched one or two times. I'd on watched Wyoming quite a bit, and he was not good as last year in college. But Justin Herbert, we were there. We were in the end zone watching him. Some of us had had, had consumed more beers than others by the time the game started. But we were literally oh, there, trash. and we did not see it at all until the moment he started starting in the NFL. So things are random, but the process of how the Seahawks are making decisions is ultimately not a good one. 
And I think the same is true of the Saints' decision to make this trade, and whether it works out or not. I really think it, it, it's just pervasive throughout sports. And this idea that, like, no team is going to be perfect as far as their decision-making. Even the best teams are not, like, you look at, like, Belichick is like the beacon, right, for moving on from players once they reach a certain age, right, or getting value, right? Some of the deals that, that Belichick has made are so phenomenal. And that motherfucker also drafted Sony Michelle in the first round. The same year the Seahawks drafted Rashad Bennett. Right? So, like, there's there's just... I, I don't know if I believe in the idea of the perfect GM. And I was thinking about what we no. have as agency, as fans. And the criticism is the agency. You know? Like, the agency that we have as fans is being able to say, I would have done this thing differently than that. And it's cheering at the games. Like, that's really it. Those are the only ways that we can affect the team in any possible scenario and it's such an amazing thing to have as fans because the shit it doesn't matter but it matters right yeah it affects how good people's day goes and and i think that criticism is such an important thing to have as fans of the people who you want to this thing i was thinking about earlier of the people who you want to be as good as possible right or and again, I mean, we might be wrong too. You know what I mean? Like, like long term, we might look back at this Russell Wilson I, trade and say this was a good trade for the Seahawks franchise. And there's, I would again, say, it's, there's a lot of randomness. It's definitely there is there is a high degree of possibility. There is a a twenty five percent, thirty percent degree of of possibility that we look back on this trade and say the Seahawks made the right decision by trading Russell Wilson. Yeah. I mean, you just shouldn't make decisions generally unless it's over a fifty percent chance of it working out well. I. I mean, I, I think you get dangerously to, the, dangerously to the point where, like, you sometimes see this in from columnists who come to the Seattle area from the East Coast, and they're like, they don't hold the team accountable enough out here. And it's like, really, really, that, that you know, the fans booing in Philadelphia is actually causing the GM to try to win more. Like, I think the Seahawks want to win just as badly as the people in Philadelphia Records want to win. definitely better than motherfucking Philadelphia for the last two decades. Well, we just praised this trade the Eagles made, remember? Well, I, this is no... I think Philadelphia is a fairly okay-run organization, but they somehow, just, somehow they, you sometimes you don't luck into... Your star quarterback tears their ACL or whatever, and then well, they're they, broken they forever. Just, they hitched their wagon to the wrong quarterback who uh, I, turned out to be a real tough hang. Who knows? As Danny who, Kelly keeps pointing a out. Tough a tough I, I agree about that. But the, uh, Carson Wentz's whole career could look totally different if he doesn't injure himself in San Francisco. It's possible. I still think it was a small sample size how well he played that season. It, pro it probably is true. But we talked after that season and it was like, who is any quarterback you'd rather have than Russell Wilson? And Ben Baldwin brought up Carson Wentz. Did we? Yes. Wow, I don't remember that. Oh boy, he hadn't played against the Seahawks yet at that point, had he? I mean, he seemed like the best young quarterback in the NFL. So I, I was I was partial to Jared Goff. Uh, again, these things that's that's what I was talking about at quarterbacks last week when people talk about this class. Like it drives me crazy being like, oh, I just looked at the quarterback class. It's like, motherfucker, you don't know. You do not know. None of you do. Maybe they'll be good. Maybe they'll be bad. But like the idea that that we go in knowing these things. But as fans, what we have is we have our criticism because you want the team to think the most like you think, which is a weird way to approach it. But that's kind of what the goal is, is to have the team act as close as possible to the in, with the information that they have to act the way that you would act. And you don't think that's true? I was shaking my head because Wentz really led the league in QBR in 2017. I, Wentz was good. 
Do you know what number two was that season? 2017? Yeah, I mean, you'll never guess no, it. No, I have none. Case Keenum? Oh, that Case Keenum was a monster that year. <sighs> that, 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 that's what alive. you're saying about Drew Locke, though, which I totally agree with. Look, the, the reality, Drew Locke's not going to be good, but like... Blake, Blake Bortles finished two spots behind Russ. But that's that's why thinking that Drew Locke could be the quarterback of the future is wrong because they've isolated a small sample size and said that that small sample size. Russell Wilson has a decade of this. It's yeah, it's the process. Even if the results turn out right, the process was not good. And but but having this agency as fans to criticize or whatever is the most important thing. Like I saw the softy tweet where he's like, what if Julio Rodriguez or whatever, the Mariners start out hot and go 14 and two, and then they continue that. And then they win a hundred games. And then they win the world series. Just like, I love that you think this way, you know what I mean? But like, we have two fucking decades to tell us that that's not going to happen. Right. And the Mariners, they, Probably the season didn't do as much as they should have. You can't. You can go to the season and be positive and excited about Julio Rodriguez, but did the Mariners actually, for this season and beyond, maximize their potential of making the playoffs and winning the World Series? Absolutely not. Right? We know that that's the case. They got lucky with Julio Rodriguez. We'll see if he actually plays well in the majors. But did they make the moves that are going to make themselves make the playoffs this year? Probably not. I mean, I don't think that they should have done that. This wasn't the year to do that. Or pro- probably, maybe this wasn't right, right? Like, maybe they maybe they made a good long-term decision by not doing that. But per- The mistake would have been signing a bunch of old players right now to try to make the playoffs oh. because of the fact that you got lucky last year. There were young, the thing- young players available in free agency if they spent the right money. There were young free agents available who okay, changed if you. S- if you sign a young free agent, you're having to sign them until they're old. That's how free agency know, works. God, uh, are you familiar with the Robinson Cano contract? That's that's just still going, right? You still want the contract you signed when Chris the same day that Chris Peterson came to coach the Huskies. Chris Peterson's been trying for years now. There's, They've already gone through two coaches since Chris Peterson. That Robinson Cano contract still did they get is value going. I think they got value from the Mets for that deal. Uh, they did, I think, actually. They Kelnick was part of that deal, wasn't he? Yeah, so shit, sign Robinson Cano. Go get Jared Kelnick. I suppose. Uh, they had to eat a lot of salary in order to get Jared Kelnick in that deal. Uh, I, my, point, my point to go back to the Eagles-Saints trade is the thing that people underestimate is the future almost always happens. It might not happen for a specific GM. It might not happen for a specific coach. It might not even happen for a specific owner. But for the team, the future almost always happens. And that's the single most underrated thing in all of sports. I I really think that the future, when trading future picks, people always view it in the most positive way. And the way that you should view it, this is not a negative perspective. You should view it in the most negative way possible, though. I mean, you never know. If you're the Los Angeles Lakers, you might be trading the eighth pick in the draft. <laughs> or worse. Or or better, I suppose, however you want to view it. Depending on which perspective you're viewing it from. But you should it's, say it's to yourself, probably going to be about eight. if I'm trading an unknown pick, even if I have whatever, Mahomes, Josh Allen, yeah. somebody like that, they could get hurt. Like, the, I don't, you're playing the fucking sport of football. Right? There's no. no team who's always good. So you should view any future pick. That's what the Seahawks did with Jamal Adams. They view, they were too positive about their own future, and they gave up a top 10 pick 
and another first round pick for Jamal fucking Adams for a safety because they said to themselves, we'll be good forever. That Robinson contract still has another year beyond this season. Look, the Mets are paying Bobby Bonilla forever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> this, the Mariners are paying him $3.75 million in 2023. That's actually very funny. Uh, <laughs> but to offset the Kellenic contract, look, he gets paid nothing as a rookie. I, I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm they excited they, to have Jared Kellenic. Also, uh, man, I've got a lot of thoughts. I just had to get random thoughts. And I, the, the video of Julio Rodriguez. The video after of, you get after midnight, that's when you decide you have to get thoughts in before I edit this podcast to post it. The video of Julio Rodriguez where they were like, wow, that's really inspiring. And I was like, Scott Service is the least inspiring human being I've ever seen in my entire oh. life. Did you watch that? He was like, no. one thing, always be yourself. And I was like, damn, can we get some hype in here, Scott Service? It's it's baseball what, what do you think i would watch it okay well i thought we cared about baseball now you cared about baseball now i'm putting it on the rundown well, that doesn't mean i care i'll see you six out of seven days of the week anyway in all situations you should view things in the future that are going to happen as negatively as possible <laughs> if you view things positively you will make bad decisions the pessimist is always either right or pleasantly surprised on that note, April 22nd, Pelton Cast Live. The pessimist is always right or pleasantly surprised. Hopefully, we'll be pleasantly surprised. Thanks for listening. Thanks.